Wave Act, the web-free software company that understands what you want. Hi everyone, welcome at Wave Act. Today with Jen Grayson, who is the who is advisory board member of Kerala Blockchain Academy. She also co-founded Cryptocurrent She and is keynote speaker and author of more than 60 books. She also founded several other companies and today we talk about a super exciting topic and it is how to build successful web-free businesses. So thank you Jen for being here and taking the time, really appreciate it. And starting out, I would like to give you the opportunity to let us know whatever you want what are your passions? What are you currently working on? Maybe a new book would be super curious about that as well. And yeah, what are you up to? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm excited to be here. I am, um, I've got a lot of things in the hopper right now. I just started lecturing um, at a college. I have two college courses that I'm teaching um, on the weekends that are fundamentals of blockchain. And so that's been really exciting to start um, really talking mainstream. I've been in the echo chamber of crypto since 2017. So talking to crypto people about crypto is one thing, but getting to talk to um, new people that are just now getting exposed to it is really different for me. I've done a lot of speaking engagements this year um, where people don't even know what Web3 is. Um, which a lot of us didn't. I didn't even know there was a Web3, uh, that we were in Web2. I was like, wait, what happened? Where, When were we in Web2? So um, it's, it's fun for me to get to talk to new people that have never heard about it. So that's been really exciting. Um, in that same vein, I'm doing a new series of books, um, kind of marrying up um, the books that I've been writing and my love of crypto and blockchain and I'm going to do one series um, called business for or blockchain for businesses. And so it will really focus on like, what do marketers need to know about blockchain and why did they care and journalists and attorneys and accountants and really starting to take this out of this beautiful ecosystem that we all love and thrive in um, that is web3 and crypto and taking it to the masses because we all talk about adoption and i kept waiting for someone else to educate everyone and i realized i was who i'd been waiting for so i'm really this this last year i've gotten really heavily involved in the educational piece of blockchain and crypto currently mentoring a um, humongous company actually um, we're raising a bunch of money for them. They've partnered with Microsoft and LinkedIn, and we're going to do digital diplomas with them. Um, their uh, their company is Rare Goods, and so we're really excited about what they're doing uh, within the university ecosystem. Nothing sexy necessarily. I mean, it's not monkey jpegs, yeah. um, but uh, real world use applications of creating lid living digital diplomas and um so i'm excited to be an advisor on that project and um microsoft and linkedin are obviously really excited about it so 
um, that should be really exciting. So I'm passionate about everything. Like that's, I don't have a short answer. Is it blockchain and crypto related? Yes, I'm passionate about it. So um, any, it's all good stuff. Wow, L love that answer. <laughs> um, super interesting. Yeah, basically because you talked a lot about education, diplomas, adoption right now, I just want to drop that question in because it's usually quite interesting to know uh, what people think. What is, in your opinion, actual adoption of blockchain or crypto? What does that mean? Um, like, what what does adoption mean to me? Like, what does... Or what would that look like? For example, yeah, exactly. So to me, I think it's two things, right? Um, I think if we compare it to our transition into um, the internet and email, adoption was people just open up an email and they just use it. They don't have to know what the tech is behind it. Or when we look at mobile phone adoption, it was just people just open up their phones and they just use them. They don't know what the tech is behind it. They don't know that it's pinging off of network towers or, you know, what was um, 2G to 3G to 4G to 5G, right? It's the same thing, web two to web three. And so those of us, I think, that are in the industry get really hung up on these words and let's call it something. Let's, let's not call it a smart contract. Let's call it an NFT. Let's make it even more confusing for the user. Um, and... And so when you have developers developing for developers, we get really hung up on the geeky tech part of it because that's what we love. Instead of thinking about our end user, that is, I want somebody to get a verified blue check on LinkedIn and have no idea that the reason they can now put Harvard on their LinkedIn profile is because a bunch of blockchain is working in the background. And so to me, adoption is users just using it and not really knowing what the tech is. If we're doing our job as developers and as um, business owners of blockchain companies, our end users should have no idea they're using blockchain. So that to me is the ultimate adoption that you cannot see the technology. And I think right now we're not even remotely close to that. We are a little bit. I am, you know, we're seeing it with like Starbucks loyalty program. Um, when they just did their new press release about it, those of us in the know knew that blockchain was going to be underlaying that, but a Starbucks regular purchaser doesn't know that's what's going to be running Starbucks's new loyalty program. Um, as we talk about digital collectibles going forward, no one's going to need to know that there's a, an NFT or a smart contract managing the digital ownership of that. So to me, adoption is when the tech becomes invisible. Love it. Yeah, basically blockchain is a tool and not a marketing campaign, it's not a business model, it's basically just a tool that helps you to achieve more value for your customers or your community. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And for you to save money 
on your bottom line as a company because you're cutting out the gooey middle of all of these things that have to happen right now in web two with paper processing or middleman or mediation, you know, I mean like all the stuff that happens in the middle. So yes, I, I think that's where we get to educate companies. And this is why I'm doing the books, which is why do you as an accountant care about this new technology? They're like, I don't need a monkey JPEG. No, you do not. But what you do need is this. And this is why. And this is why it's going to save you money. So, yeah, you're exactly right in your definition of that. Yeah, especially as an accountant, <laughs> you oh might need to gosh. deal with it anyway. Right. Right? <laughs> could, you, could you imagine how much time they could take off? They'd be like, oh, my gosh, I work one day a year. Uh, and it's not even April 14th and I just get to like, I push buttons, people upload stuff, it gets verified on the blockchain, I go fish, and then I come back and then I go to Disneyland, and then I find some more clients. Like as an accountant, man, blockchain would, it, and, and we see it, right? Like we yeah. see a lot of cool companies. There's one based here in Utah where I'm at that's a, I think they're a unicorn now. Um, it's called Taxbit, and that's exactly what they're doing. Like lots of um, accounting for crypto companies, and they're doing a bunch of accounting on the blockchain. And it's amazing. It's amazing to see this technology being used in real use case scenarios. It's so fantastic for me. Like it's not sexy, but I love it. And business case doesn't have to be sexy, I think. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, then that's but people are like, you know, the like you said, the marketing campaigns are like, well, accounting is boring. And I'm like, yes, but look at the tech. <laughs> yeah, well, last year you could have uh, just dropped the term Web3, blockchain or smart contracts and people would throw uh, money at, at you anyway, right? So, um, yeah. Much more challenging to raise money because now you have to have an actual use case and now you have to actually educate your investors, which is what we're up against with this company that I'm mentoring um, and having to teach founders about what do investors want and what do they look for. And if you can get in during a hype bubble, it's really easy to raise money. But, but now those same uh, in those same funders, those same founders who raised money now are in a whole new challenge with their investors because their investors are like, uh, so. Yeah, 100 percent. How still that, Jen? Well. A big challenge also, which is um, what what do you say to an investor when the Web3 environment changes? Yeah, well, um, if I understood your uh, question, uh, your answer correctly, because you got cut up, uh, cut off for a second. In general, your answer was uh, if you biggest thing, um, we're all going to make millions. Yeah. And now you're having to have a very, very real conversation with an investor, which is, no, we need you to follow on. 
we need to do a follow-on round. Um, just, but this is why we still have value on your assets. So it's just like, it's a shift in conversation. And so founders are probably having um, really challenging conversations with their investors right now. Um, easy to raise, but then what do you do? And so I think that's one thing that founders forget or don't realize is one, you're always raising money. And two, your relationship with an investor is ongoing well beyond the raise and especially when the market drops out and and that's regardless of whether your market is nfts or crypto or blockchain um you know every market changes i mean we're in a recession regardless right now and so i think founders have to really remember that the raise isn't just when you get that first check that relationship is ongoing and you know what what did that money cost you from a partnership perspective too of did you just take money from somebody because they were giving it to you and everybody wanted monkey jpegs and now you're realizing that maybe the person who wrote you the check isn't somebody you want to be partnered with and now you want a divorce um, and so these are all things that are really hard to remember as a founder when money's flying off the shelves and you want a piece of it. Um, and, and it's hard, right? Like, I mean, it's just like the rules that we make with crypto when we're buying and selling on exchanges, um, or not buying and selling on exchanges, I have exchange on the brain because of FTX, but, um, you have to set rules and that goes whether you're buying and selling crypto or whether you're um, taking on an investor, you know, what are the rules? What are the goals? What are, what's your investment strategy? What's your exit strategy? And um, I think that's hard for founders to, to think through and put to paper when, you know, money's growing on trees. Like we saw went through the NFT craze. Uh, yeah, 100%. Um, I think uh, that's just my humble opinion. In general, I think the mindset of just raising money all over the all over again is the wrong mindset in general, right? As a business owner, you want to build a sustainable business, hopefully, right? And not rely on the, let's say, idea to raise new money, fresh money all over again. Uh, until some kind of miracle happens, right? You always have to work on your business to actually build a business case that works without raising further money. And um, yes. that's possibly the issue uh, that goes along with that. And yeah, fully agree with everything you said. Um, what I found super interesting is you talked about basically stakeholder management, as some people say, if that's the correct term, right? You have yeah. to keep the relationship uh, on a good basis with your investors. What is your experience with that? Like um, when, when talking about uh, retaining a relationship with an investor, how does that usually work? Uh, what are some recommendations that you know from your own experience? Is it like uh, just updating them on a regular basis? Is it regular meetings? Like if they're team members, does it depend on the agreements you have? What is your take on that? 
Yeah, I think it can be a lot of different things. I think with any relationship, well, one, I think, I think everybody has to understand that it's a like deep relationship. This is a partnership. Um, and so just like with any other partnership and relationship, what is everyone's understanding of that relationship? Are, are the investors going to be really involved on a day-to-day basis? Are they sitting on your board? Are they, um, are they part owners? Are they, um, you know, planning on being involved did you get involved with them because of their expertise in a certain area and are you willing to let them have opinions about areas that they're not an expert in and so when we really look at who to put a company in front of we really want to marry them up with the right investor over just one that's writing checks Um, and sometimes that's a family office over a venture capital firm, um, you know, and looking at who else does the investor have in their ecosystem and, you know, what are the expectations and revisiting those expectations. And so I think it's always about establishing that up front. What does the community, what are the communication expectations look like? Um, what role do the investors want to play? Are the founders okay with that? Um, What does that look like as you scale and grow? And how often are we gonna revisit this conversation? I mean, it really, it's just like a marriage and really having to sit down and say, okay, it's our anniversary. Do we wanna renew the lease on this marriage? Um, You know, and, and really being able to have ongoing conversations. Some investors and VCs may not want thorough updates or they might not wanna be on the phone two hours a week because they have a bunch of other projects that they're working on. And so I think the important part is no two relationships look the same. And so have a conversation with investors and for us like right now um we're looking at doing um a lot more family office relationships versus the grip it and rip it of venture capital because we know like for any of my blockchain companies we're going into winter and so i want a partner who's going to be okay with we're going to build right now and we're going to build out tech, we're going to build out clients, we're going to build out the big, um, the moat that that we have, and we know what um, challenges we're up against on client acquisition, we know where things are going to get a little more expensive because it's winter, we've been through these cycles before, and so I need a partner who understands that and isn't going to be frustrated with when an earnings call reflects that we're deep in crypto winter right now. And so I think it's about partnering with the right person in the beginning, um, especially with Web3 and blockchain companies, knowing about crypto winter cycles and being able to navigate when something like the current FTX (laughs) debacle happens 
and you see that reflected in the market and you see that reflected on the fear and greed index and you see that reflected in your client acquisition and your client retention and what do you do in that situation and do you have an investor who trusts you enough to say okay we got to go put out some fires for a minute so we're handling everything but um we need you to give us the latitude and not panic and so i think it's just this ongoing conversation of what do you want our relationship to look like and and i think that really is um on a case-by-case basis Mm -hmm. so basically uh the main point that i get from you right now is aligning expectations keep the conversation up basically to that extent that both parties agreed upon or are let's say satisfied with or happy with and um yeah be sure to get the right people on board right absolutely yep yeah those are great takeaways absolutely awesome um so for me as a follow-up question right now um when you talk about the bear market um, there are many, many, many people that basically maybe just entered the space or have entered the space last year and now want to build or start their own web free or blockchain business. Do you think that, uh, put aside that they're good or bad funders, but just from a purely market or let's say startup perspective, does it make sense to launch in a bear market or do you think absolutely Uh, absolutely i think bear markets are some of the best markets to build in um because all the tourists have left um and and i every time um i mean i when i started our predictive ai blockchain company which was my first baptism by fire into the blockchain space um i took over as CEO in July of 2017. Um, we tried to raise, tried to, you know, figure out SEC and regulations all throughout the fall um, of 17. There was the ICO banana pants. Um, and then we had 2018 and then we entered a bear market. And once you get out of that bull cycle, that is just this, influx of people new people um new projects you see the good stuff stay and the good people stay and they build and so now to me is the best time to start one because nobody knows what you're doing no there's no noise right now and so you can just build your thing quietly um you can test there's no pressure you can build out the best thing that the world has ever seen and you can be ready to launch so that when the bull market hits you are seven steps ahead of your competition um you can watch what's happening you you know i mean the NFT thing was wild. Yeah. <laughs> and, but we saw OpenSea, right, ready to pick it up because they built in the bear market. And so OpenSea was ready. 
They didn't. They weren't scrambling to to meet the demand. They were ready because they'd been building. You know, they'd been building through a pandemic. Um, you've got devs that have a lot of time on their hands um, because their projects maybe went away or couldn't raise or you know their own projects can't get funded right now and so you have people that are willing to build with you um on the hopes that in three or four years um it'll come back and so you can build teams that are willing to go the distance with you um and man if you can build in a bear market you can you can handle anything so i really do think it's a great time to build because you just there's no pressure and you can make mistakes quietly without everybody looking and you're not losing everybody else's money um so i i really do think um i i think they're great times to build they really are and we know what the cycle looks like i mean we know you've got three years at a minimum um so get it done and what I say to founders and myself, every morning in the mirror, I'm like, okay, um, if I could have come out of last year's cycle, um, what's the one thing I wish I'd have done three years ago? Do that. And so I looked at that and went, man, I wish I'd have educated more. I wish I'd have written more books. I wish I'd have had a better podcast. So it's what I'm doing. And so that's kind of when I look at founders and say, you know, what do you wish you'd have done three years ago? When NFTs went bananas, what do you wish you'd have done? Go do that. We're still so early in the game, and I think it's hard for us to remember that. You know, there are so many people that still have no idea what in the world we're doing over here. Um, so we're still so early. And if anything, the last five <laughs> weeks has set us back um, even more. So I think the fear index is well. <laughs> and so if, if we look at that, it's even, what do you wish you'd have done, um, six years ago? You know, I mean, this is like the ultimate do over that everybody has right now. Yeah, uh, one hundred percent. If you see a, see an opportunity, uh, or a long answer to a short question, but yes, fully agree. Love that answer. Um, if you see an opportunity, well, you should always go for it. Right? Um, usually, you regret uh, only regret things that you didn't do. Right? Uh, that reminds me basically of that. So, really love it. Um, you talked a lot about building quietly right now. Um, when we think about regular startups, they get told the exact opposite, interestingly. Like, go out, even before you build, validate your business case. And what, well, what is your take on that? How do you compare these two sectors and how they approach uh, product development? Well, first, I think you're going to get told a different thing by everybody you sit in front of. Um, and so that's, I think, one of the biggest 
dilemmas I see founders face is when they're trying to raise or they're going through an accelerator, everybody has an opinion of how they should run their company. And if they put a deck in front of 10 different people, they're going to get 10 different responses to what they need to do. Um, and I think they're all viable avenues. And so it depends on what you're building. I think as a founder, um, if you know, if you're solving your own pain point, which is, I know this frustrates me and I know I can build a solution to it, then you already know who your user is. If you're an outsider and you're like, I'll bet accountants would love to go fishing more often and I'm going to build a thing for them and you don't know who your user is, then yeah, you should go out and spend some time with accountants. If you don't know what the market wants, um, you need to go out and figure that out. But I think founders spend a lot of time trying to make everybody else happy. And they do it because they are trying to get funded. And so they pivot and they pivot and they pivot and they pivot. And all they end up doing is drilling a hole around instead of actually getting any forward movement. Um, do I think you should do your homework before you build? Absolutely. Um, do I think you should spend time building a prototype? Eh, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's, and, and these are mistakes I made, you know, we spent five grand building a prototype that no found, no investor ever asked us for. Um, and we finally got tired of trying to raise money. And so we were like, okay, how do we just get clients? And so I think it comes back to, if you didn't, if you couldn't raise money, what would you do? If raising money wasn't an option and you just had to go build a business, what would you do? Go build a thing and go find clients and charge them money. Like that's just build a business. And then if you have a business that's ready to scale and you already have users because you built a thing that makes it easier to raise money. Um, but investors also aren't wrong in saying, well, who's your target market and how is this going to work? It doesn't necessarily mean you're wrong. We have to educate investors. A lot of them, especially with blockchain, they call me. They call me and say, hey, Jen, will you look at this blockchain company and tell me what it does and if we should invest in it? And then I pick it apart. But, you know, they're getting better and they're getting smarter and they're starting to understand it more. But don't assume that an investor knows your business better than you. Um, go build it and find clients. Um, so I think there's a lot of schools of thought. And, um, you know, I think you also have to look at 
why an accelerator or an investor is telling you that thing? Is it because they want to 10x their money and get a bunch of stuff coming back? Um, you know, so it 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 depends is the answer. Mm-hmm. I, I really love that answer, to be honest, um, because actually it just shows again, you should always keep the original idea of a business in mind, right? Build a business that works. And well, raising money should just accelerate things, uh, especially in the digital uh, sector, right? Oftentimes you don't need right off the start to get your first minimal customer uh, like millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars because a minimal product can already generate a customer. For sure, it always depends. But most of the time, that might be possible. And that's uh, super exciting. Um, since that I know that you have built several companies in your life are there some mistakes that you encountered yourself um, later in the journey right many people talk about what you can do wrong when you just start out when you build your first couple of businesses but what kind of things have you learned for yourself after raising x after uh, scaling to y i don't know what are some mistakes that you have learned yourself or I don't know? So I, I think one of the biggest ones was um, not putting scalable practices into place in the beginning. Um, and as a founder in the beginning, I think one of the, at least for me, like, I was used to doing everything myself and being scrappy and doing everything I possible could, possibly could on the smallest amount of money and putting in 14 hours a day and really being able to just get it done. And that ends up just not being scalable. And so as you grow, then you get your first round or your second round, you realize that now you've got to bring on more people. You have to learn to delegate. You have to learn how to replicate yourself. And so I think not putting scalable systems into place from the get-go becomes really costly as you grow because it is um, really um, impactful because now you're having to do it as you're moving rapidly. And so for us, that got really costly. And I wish I'd have taken the time in the very beginning to, to create systems and acting as if we already had 10,000 users or acting as if we already had 100,000 users and saying, okay, if we had to manage that, what would that system look like? And what can we put in place today that we don't have to pivot when we're down the road and there are always things on day one that that we could do and and um 
my business partner was mentoring a company the other day and they knew what their exit strategy was from day one. They were like, okay, we're going to go in. We only want to hold this for three years. We know what our exit strategy is. And it was like, okay, then every decision we make every single day, we're holding it against that bar of if someone's coming in to purchase this and we know we want to be an acquisition three years from now, what is that acquiring company going to say about this decision that we're making today? And it really refined those decisions. And so I think going in as a startup, it's not just, oh, we're going to grow to be this great big thing. It's also including what's our exit strategy and what are we measuring every decision against? And is it we want to have you know, success to us means 10,000 users. Okay, then is the decision I'm making right now a decision I would make if we had 10,000 users? Yes or no? Why? And then really saying, well, because I don't have, you know, 100 grand in the bank, so it's got to be this way. Okay, that's a good enough reason. When do we make the transition? And so really thinking about that scalability, because it's going to cost you you can only kick stuff down the road so long. And then you're having to move the ship when you're really big and you have 10,000 users where one decision might've cost you 500 bucks that you didn't have, but putting that system into place or spending those three days in the beginning would have saved you $100,000 and three months worth of rework when you do have 10,000 users. And so I think scalability, and I think thinking about that every day with every decision, it's hard, but I think that's what separates the winners from the uh, losers is not a word I like to use, but, but it separates good from great. I'll say that. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a very interesting point of view. And I fully agree with that. Um, basically, especially if coming from a tech side, uh, the tech side of things, there's always this kind of trade-off, right? Between making things scalable, thinking long-term, uh, having all sorts of edge cases in mind versus over-engineering, like spending too much time on things that you maybe don't even need at all or as many years in the future where you maybe then have even more resources and would do it uh, in a different way anyway. So that's a very interesting uh, thought process, especially since that developers usually struggle with uh, over-engineering, getting back uh, from a minimal product to actually a product that is able to scale and also from the business perspective that you, as you mentioned, uh, are able to replicate yourself that you, because you can't work 24 hours a day, uh, every day that doesn't work. You need to sleep to eat and everything. So that's very interesting. And thank you for sharing that. Um, and I definitely, you're it. And it's a good point, right? Like I think depending on who, what kind of founder I was talking to, um, you know, if I'm talking to a developer, um, 
I they do over engineer and that you know they do want to put every feature set and so um when you see developers creating companies especially right now right like they're developing for developers and they're not developing for their end user um that's also the key which is you know what do we need today what do i need to bring a client on tomorrow and what does that look like and so having managing a good roadmap and making sure that we are in 1.0 and 2.0 and let's leave that for 3.0 we only have so much money but also evaluating those questions as you go and having someone that you can um who will give you really good feedback about that who is your opposite um if two developers sit down and they're like oh we definitely need this feature they will over engineer together and so um you do need advisory members on your whether it's your advisory board or your board of directors to really who are oppositional from who you are and how you create a company that are that know your weaknesses and you need to be aware of your own weaknesses as a founder and be you know are you teachable too and are there places where you should put your stake in the ground and say no I'm not willing to compromise on this and and what is the cost of that and so just like there is no one right investor relationship there's no one right answer when it comes to a roadmap either and what do you develop and what do you not develop and what sets us apart and what's our unique um feature to the market and why are we different and why us and continuing to ask those questions and and knowing that you've you've got to be able to listen to people who have differing views from you but also knowing what sets you apart what matters to you as a founder what your blind spots are um it's a dance it's a it's everything about building a business is just like building any relationship it's you know where are you willing to compromise where are you not willing to compromise how badly do you want to raise money how badly do you want to bring on a client um you know how well do you know your client how much do you need to educate your client um how different is your client i mean like if you look at apple versus android you know apple knew who their clients were they're not everybody's clients that is for sure and if they'd have developed apple the way everything else was being developed at the time they wouldn't be apple and they still are faced with that who's our client who are we making happy and i think that's where you know developers really they love developing for developers and they get in echo chambers at least this is and especially right now in blockchain and web3 because it's a new baby tech and we're so excited about it and what it can do um but who's the end user and are you serious about them adopting it or do you just want to develop for your buddy so you guys can geek out about it you're never going to raise money you're never going to have um end users but it'll be really cool it'll do all the things you want to do 
And so we've got to move into that new space of, you know, who is this for? And do you really want adoption? And if you do really want adoption, then you've, you've got to be willing to give up some stuff on the front end and not overdevelop um, and just go find your clients, build for them, talk to them, listen to them. Um, and developers get really hung up on, well, but they should. Yes, we, you know, I mean, I was a perfect example this morning of, yeah, my mom should have gotten all her stuff off the exchange, but she's 72. So did she? No. So today I was scrambling. And so I think we, we forget that even though this is an amazing tech, humans still have to use it and humans are messy and unpredictable and they act a certain way and they're frustrating and as a developer and as a business owner that is man that's the bane of our existence but it's also how we make money and so i think if there's one key takeaway that i want everybody to to really get it is in order for us to progress blockchain and this tech that we love and are so passionate about it's that we've got to think about our end user and we have to stop making it complicated for them even though we know they should use it a certain way they're not gonna they're still web two humans as much as we want them to we be web three humans they're just not um, and so we've got to stop developing for developers. We have to develop for the rest of the world so that they'll come love our tech as much as we love it because they're never going to see it. And that's how we move the needle of Web3 forward. Wow. Um, I think that was a really a perfect call to action perfect ending for this incredible session uh so what this all basically the whole podcast uh triggers or which quote i get uh, in my head uh, if i think about uh, all the topics that we have just discussed today then i would summarize it with a uh, build or make it as simple as it can be but not simpler as i think albert einstein used to say so yeah make it scalable as you said but uh also don't over engineer right and really love that so chen not sure if you want to add something but otherwise i would say thank you thank you thank you for taking the time i really learned a lot myself and i hope the audience too so i will drop all your links and everything you want me to drop into the video and uh, podcast description and yeah let's stay in touch perfect this was fabulous thank you i really enjoy getting to talk about this so i appreciate the platform and your listeners and thank you for the time um and i'm always around on LinkedIn or Twitter um, for people to reach out and um, we we love looking at really good projects and marrying them up with um, with really great investors so I'm always happy to move 
Web3 projects forward. It's my favorite thing because I'm passionate about this. So um, thank you for the time. Today was great. Oh, well, I think you can expect a lot of new pitch decks. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good. Yes. Uh, send them to my inbox. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, thank you again and wish you a great evening or okay. afternoon. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. It's afternoon here, so thank you. Awesome. I appreciate it a lot. Likewise. Thank you. Bye. All right. Wave Act, the web free software company that understands what you want.